How you doing out there? Amen. Let's get our Bibles out this morning. It's been a great Sunday already. Just worshiping together. First service was a blessing. We're in Mark chapter 4, week 21 of the miracles of Jesus. You say you're running out of miracles? Nope. Plenty of miracles. Amen. God's doing miracles in our midst. Some we see, some we don't, but he's the God of miracles. We're in Mark chapter 4 here. This is part 3 of, uh, part 2 or part 3, I'm not even sure. I think it's, uh, I think it's part 3, yeah. Part 3 of the miracle where Jesus comes to the stormy sea here. And I'm going to pick up, um, I'm going to focus on verses 40 and 41, but I'm going to read to you the whole miracle for in just a second. Let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us the Bible, the Scripture, your written word as a blueprint and as a testimony to us. We're thankful for all the principles and all the things you've tucked in there as pearls of wisdom for us to apply to our daily living. We're thankful, Lord God, that you've given us the Holy Spirit so that the word can come alive to us. Holy Spirit, allow the truth of the word to leap off the pages, Father, for those of us who seek you, Lord, with our whole hearts, Lord, Reveal the truth to us and let it free us from the inside out. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Jesus stills the sea. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, This is our new material, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? So Jesus is out there with his disciples. His idea to cross the river, what are they doing? Ministry. So they're doing the right stuff and they find themselves in a perilous situation. Can anyone relate to that? You're doing the right things. You're trying to stay close to God. You're coming to church. You're reading your Bible. You're avoiding sin. And then out of nowhere, storms hit. And they're serious storms. They're not just annoyances. They're not just a little bit of rain that's going to leave some puddles. It's a serious situation here. They're in this storm. The boat is taking on water. It's sinking. And Jesus is asleep. And and they're in a full panic at this point. They shake him. And they wake him. And they ask him this question that all of us have, in one way or another, asked Jesus at a time. Don't you care that we're perishing? Maybe you're overwhelmed, maybe you're beat up, maybe you're worn out, maybe you need help and there is none. Maybe there's no end in sight to the things you face, the mountains that are before you, the giants that stand before you. And at times we all look up to heaven and God, don't you care? Don't you see I'm dying here, Lord? We've all been there. We've all felt like that. And they ask him that question. And we've learned in part one that, uh, you know, Jesus' cradle, his cross, and the fact that he's coming again is proof that he cares. He cares about you. Whatever you're going through today, he cares. Come on, let me hear an amen. Preach back to me. This will go easier for both of us. 
So then Jesus gets up, and they, they shake him, and they wake him, and you know, he, he gets up, and what does he do? The first thing he does is he faces the storm, and then he speaks to the storm, and then he stills the storm. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? He faces the things that afflict us. He fights for his own, and what does he do? He speaks into the situation. You know, his words have power. Our words have power. One word from Jesus can change everything in our lives. One word. He speaks to the storm. And then, you know, and I appreciate the fact that he doesn't just speak to the storm, that he actually stills the storm. Do you notice a lot of people, all they do is talk, and all they have is theories, and all they have is meetings, and they like to talk about problems, and then they talk about theoretical solutions. I'm tired of people who just talk. I like the people who get things done. Jesus didn't just get up and go, oh, it's a storm, and look at the storm. Let's talk about storms. And you know, meteorology is a really cool thing. No, Jesus said, hush. Enough, be still, boom, results, action that brings results. That's the God that you serve. Jesus is not going to look at your mess and all the things that afflict you into trouble and just, dude, let's have a little talk about this. No, he's going to speak, and he's going to bring results. And now we catch up here with Jesus stills the storm, and the chaos turns into tranquility. It goes from this tumultuous storm to a sea of glass. Now the disciples are really freaked out. They were scared when they started, but, it, but they even get more scared after this guy speaks to the elements. Why? Because Jesus is showing his dominion over the natural laws of the universe. You know, we don't, you know, we as believers, we, we, don't, we don't possess that degree of what Jesus had. You know, next time it's raining, go out and try. Who knows? You might be able to slow it down. But it was nothing for Jesus, Dan. He just, I mean, it was nothing. He just kind of got up and said, boom. Why? Because of who he is. Because of the fact that he's God. Because the laws of the universe don't apply to the one who set them in place and put them in order, the creator of all things, amen? Creator has dominion over creation. <laughs> you know, Jesus speaks and he stills and they are, they are blown away by the authority he has. This is a guy who speaks to water. This is a guy who walks on water. This is a guy who calms wind and waves. This is the guy who curses a fig tree and it withers up. And they are thoroughly, their minds are blown at what, what has happened here. But now Jesus has a few questions of his own for them. And he, he starts in verse 40. He says to them, why are you afraid? Question number one. Number two, do you still have no faith? He, he throws them these two questions in verse 40. We're going to look at that and then finish up. But, but let's look at the first question here. Why are you so fearful? Now, you might think sometimes Jesus asks questions, obviously, that he knows the answer to. But the answer is obvious. Why? Because people don't go around telling storms what to do, and the storm listens. I told you, sometimes when I'm on the couch, I try and reach for the remote and see if it'll come to me. It never works. But in my laziness, I was willing to give it a try. Jesus speaks, and the storm stops. So that's why they're afraid in the natural. But there's, there's more to it here. There's more depth to it. Fear is such a prevalent theme in Scripture that it seems no matter what you know, passage I'm preaching from, what parable we're unfolding, what miracle we're talking about, the concept of fear comes up. Why? Because it's a very common theme. It's a pivotal theme because it's something that always faces God's people. When you and I step forward in faith, the enemy will counterattack with fear. 
Let me say that again. When you and I step forward in faith, look, if you do nothing and you stand still and you hide and you try and avoid any kind of spiritual conflict, you know, maybe nothing will happen. But the minute that you and I say, no, I'm not taking it anymore. I believe God's word. I believe it's, I'm who it says it is, and I take a step forward in faith. The minute you do that, the enemy is going to come and he's going to try and resist. And he's going to attack you with fear. Did you ever say something and it came out of you in faith and once it got out of your mouth, you're like, uh-oh, I said it. Now I got to back it up, amen? When the faith that God has put in us comes out, the enemy will always counterattack. Now Jesus wants them to know why they're afraid. And he knows why they're afraid. He knows everything. But he wants to expose the roots of what's making them afraid. It's not enough just to define fear. Oh, there's fear, there's fear. Here's where I have fear. Here's what I'm afraid of. That's not enough. We have to find out why we're afraid. He says, why are you so fearful? He wants them to know the why so they can identify the roots of fear. Once you and I identify the roots of what's making us afraid, that, that's the place where we can find God's victory and pluck up the roots so we don't have to be in fear anymore, amen? So Jesus wants to know, hey, guys, why are you afraid? And, you know, they're, they're stepping out in faith following him. They left everything to be with him. So the enemy constantly pushes back against them. But there are three roots of fear that I want to cover this morning so that we can identify why we're afraid. Number one, we're afraid because we don't understand the right application of fear. See, fear isn't completely bad. Fear has a purpose. When you're a little child and you're growing and you don't know things and your parents tell you not to do certain things, you know, the right thing to do is to actually listen. Anybody do that? Anybody ever listen to authority? Anyone ever submit? Seen pictures, read stories, come on. No, bunch of rebels out there, right? We should actually listen. When, when your parents say, don't touch this stove, it's hot. You know, <laughs> I grew up in an Italian family, you know, they tell you, and I can remember, you know, doing stuff that I was told not to do. My grandfather would just go, you know, you'd see you do something you weren't supposed to do, you touch the hot stove, ow! And how did you like that? Did you like that? You know, the old school Italians, right? Now, now we're the kinder, gentler versions, but... No, did you like that? How's your hands feel? You know, they make fun of you a little bit. You'd be like, Mom. well, I guarantee you didn't touch it again. You know, whatever, you know, whatever they said to do, don't, th there's a reason that we have fear. Fear is a good thing. Fear keeps us from making stupid decisions and rash decisions. Fear, you know, checks us from the impulsiveness of our flesh. You know, our flesh, we just want to react to things. How, how many times do we react to something and we make a bigger mess than what we started out with? You know, there's a reason we're afraid. Yeah, all of us have this internal fear of heights. And, you know, the older I get, you know, I used to not be afraid at all. When I was a kid, I would climb trees. My parents would come outside, and I would, I would be so high up in the tree, they looked small. I remember one time I almost gave my grandmother a heart attack. She, she dropped her wooden spoon. She, and I'm up there, man. I'm just, you know, now, I, I, the older I get, you know, I don't like it so much anymore. And why is that? Because, you know, I got this fear in me. I realize, you know, whether I, I can admit it or not, I don't bounce like I used to. You know, now it's like I used to be 30, 40 feet up doing siding, shingles, whatever. Now I'm up there. I'm holding on to the ladder. I look like, you know, a koala bear stuck up there. I, I'm thinking, who can do this for me? 
Why? Because, you know, you get older and your, your, your body's telling you, you don't bounce like you used to. I remember when we were kids, I lived in Rhinebeck. We had chicken coops on our property. I was talking to my mom and dad about this. We used to climb up on the chicken coops 10, 10 feet, 15 feet up, and we would fall over backwards into the high weeds. Just stand on the edge and just, whoa, backwards, and hit the weeds. They would cushion you a little bit, but it would knock the wind out of you, and then we would sit there and go, ah, ah, that was cool. Who wants to do it again? Man, now if I fall off of that thing, I'm going to leave a crater there. They're going to have to get a crane to get me out. It's over. So fear is a good thing to a degree. It, it's, you know, it checks us. It, it keeps us from being reckless. There's things I climbed and jumped off of. No more. I'm done. I got pictures. I'll enjoy them, but I ain't doing it anymore. So fear is not all bad. There is a legitimate purpose to fear. But you and I need to understand the right application of it. Now, listen to Matthew 10, 28. It gives us the right application. It says here, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Wow, that's really to the point, isn't it? Look, you know, some people can take your life. Some people can kill the body, but that's all they can do. That's really all man can do to us. They can take our life. But you know what? We're not going to live forever anyway. And when we die, we're going to go to be with Jesus. So they, they have some power, but it's limited power. God can kill the body and the soul in eternity. If you reject God, if you reject Jesus, your soul is on the line for eternity. Don't fear man. Fear God. Fear has its proper application. But when we misapply it, it causes all kinds of troubles for us. As a Christian, we should not fear man. I'm just waiting for them to trickle in. As Christians, we shouldn't fear the government. As Christians, we shouldn't fear death. It's, it's amazing how many Christians are afraid to die. What, you want to stay here forever? You don't want to go see Jesus? As Christians, we shouldn't fear injustice or persecution or lack. God is our supply. The only thing a Christian should fear is the Lord. I said the only thing a Christian should fear is the Lord. And if you and I don't fear the Lord, we'll be afraid of everything else. You and I need to fear the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord is not terror or dread, but it's reverence and awe. The fear of the Lord is saying, I know who you are, God, and you're awesome, and you're wonderful, and you're all-powerful, and I wouldn't dare offend you. I'll offend everybody else but not you, God, because I fear you with a sense of awe. You see, people on the outside want to think the fear of the Lord is this dread, or you've you got to come before him groveling and all lowly. And Yeah, he's holy, he's wonderful, but he loves us, and we're his children, Amen. And so it's awe. Do you reverence God? Do you fear the Lord? Some of us grew up in religious expressions where, you know, when you walked into church, there was a sense of reverence and awe. There was quiet and there was, come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? And that wasn't all bad. We walk in here, it's like we're, you know, we're in our living room. We come in, hey, how you doing? You know, put our feet up on the chair. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do we have reverence for this place, that this is the tabernacle of God where the Holy Spirit moves, amen? Do we have some reverence for this place? <laughs> we need some. We need to get some of that back. But the fear of the Lord is the only fear we should have. 
Now, the second thing I want to talk about when we're talking about the roots of fear is that we're afraid, yes, because we don't understand the proper application of fear, but we're also afraid because we've put our trust in the wrong places. When you trust in something that is unstable and insecure, that's going to make you afraid. I remember I shared with first service, there was times growing up, I was out in places where I was on ice. You know, ice, when you walk out on the ice, you really have to trust the ice. I see people every year, you know, they're ice fishing, they drive trucks out on the ice, and then I see on social media trucks in, in the hole, right? I've walked out on ice before, and I've heard a really strange creaking noise. Anybody? I was out on the ice one time, I heard a creak, and then all of a sudden I was swimming, and it was January. So when you trust in something that's not stable, that's not secure, yeah, that's going to produce fear. But when you trust in something that is stable and insecure and can't fail you, when you trust in God with all of your heart, that's when you can have full confidence. It's when we trust in the wrong things that fear gets a grip. On Wednesday night, I was talking about Psalm 91, and I used this scripture in Proverbs 3, and, and I'm using it again on Sunday here. God is, God is working on our hearts about trusting and, and, and driving fear out. It says this in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, it's our minds that cause trouble. In all your ways, what you do, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Amen. Don't trust in your ability. Don't trust in your, the years you put into the job. Don't trust in your bank account. Don't trust in the economy. Come on. Don't trust in a political party. Don't trust in government. Trust in the Lord. You got to get this, Christians, because everywhere you're trusting in any of those things I just mentioned, they will always let us down. But Jesus never lets us down. Look, if something's going to bear my full weight, I want it to be trustworthy, amen? The only thing I'll lean on 100% is the Lord, and that's what you and I should do. So we, we trust in the wrong things, and uh, because of that, you know, whatever degree we trust in something besides the Lord, you say, well, I trust in the Lord mostly. Anybody? I, I trust in the Lord like 90%. See, and, and great, that's great, you know, but the 10% that you're not trusting in the Lord, you're trusting in something else. And that's the breach of our consecration. That's the place where the enemy can get in and inject fear because that 10% is insecure and wh whatever degree, you know, understand this, it's, it's got to be 100%. It's, it's all Jesus or nothing, amen? It's not a 75% relationship. It's not an 80% trust. It's not, it's got to be 100%. Jesus has to have all of our hearts. And when we trust in other things, a piece of our heart is connected to something else that's not trustworthy. You say, well, wh why can we trust God? Because he's our heavenly father. Amen? We're just not, you know, Christian workers or, you know, Christian, you know, uh, people or something. We're the children of God. Sons and daughters of God. Some of this bouncing back on me. Understand, you're not just in the kingdom of God to serve a purpose and do a job and pull your weight. You're a child of God. He loves you as a precious son, a precious daughter. Come on, receive that this morning. You can trust your heavenly father. In the book, Holy Sweat by Tim Hansel, the author tells a story about his son, Zach. He said, my son, Zach, and I were out climbing on some cliffs and climbing some boulders and when we were out there, I heard a voice yell behind me, Hey, Dad, catch me. 
I turned around to see Zach in midair. He had just leapt off a boulder, and he was headed straight at me. He jumped first, and then he yelled, hey, Dad. In that instant, it became a total circus act. As I tried to catch him, we both fell to the ground and rolled around in a heap. For a moment, I couldn't speak, but when I caught my breath, I said, Zach, give me one good reason why you think that was a good idea to do. And he said, because you're my dad. You see, the whole assurance was the fact that his dad was trustworthy, and because his dad could be depended on, he could live life to the hilt without fear. He could jump first and then yell, Dad. Now, look, I'm not telling you to be reckless. I'm not telling you to be presumptuous with God, amen? But what I'm telling you is that you can trust him to catch you when you fall. You can trust him because he's faithful. (laughs) Not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, not because you put a demand on him. You know, could you imagine, hey, God, catch me, and you jump, and he just lets you fall. But he never does. He always catches us. He's never failed. He's never dropped the ball. He's never shirked his responsibility. Why? Because he's a loving father. So the roots of fear are the fact that we don't, we don't have the right application of fear and don't see what its purpose is. The root of fear is that we trust in the wrong things. And number three, the last root I want to identify here is this. We are afraid because we don't know the depth of God's love. You see, if, if I'm afraid... It's because I don't know how much God loves me. Well, God, how's this going to work out? Where's your provision for this? And I have lack here, and and I'm scared about this, and, you know, my body's this, and the doctor said that, and all of these things that we hear, you know, if we don't know how much God loves us, those things are going to attack our faith and leave us questioning God. Anytime, and, and I, I share with first service, I, I've been walking with the Lord since I'm 14 years old. I've been a full-time pastor for 27 plus years, and I am just learning that I need to learn a little bit more about the love of God. The depth of his love is something we discover all the days of our lives. If I'm a, afraid, if Pastor Rick's scared, it's because I don't know the love of God to the degree I need to. The devil's still using the same tricks used in the garden to deceive Adam and Eve. He's, he's not very creative, and he uses a couple tricks because they work. In the garden, the devil tricked Adam and Eve using two lies. The first one was this. He lied about what God said. In Genesis 3, verse 4, it says the serpent, guess who that is? I'll give you 10 guesses, and the first nine don't count. The serpent said to the woman, now be careful who you listen to, be careful who you talk to, you will surely not die. Eve said, you know what, the Lord said if we eat of that tree, if we eat that fruit and we take it, God said don't take it because if you eat it, you're going to die. And Pastor Mike and I have had theological discussion and we've decided it is a peach, not an apple because you couldn't tempt us with an apple, amen. But a good peach, are you kidding me? Come on, you get a couple good peaches a year, right? You bite that thing, it drips down your face. Make a Baptist speak in tongues, a good peach, I'm telling you. But, you know, the Lord said very clearly, you eat that, you die. And what does the enemy come in? He comes in and he confuses and he twists and he undermines what God said. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Lied about what God said. 
You see, that's why it's so important we know the word, amen? That's why it's so important we're in this every day, studying it, getting it in us, cramming it into our hearts, amen? Turn off your phone, turn off the computer, turn off your TV, get in the word of God every day and get it in your heart, amen? Because it's real easy for the enemy to lie about the word of God when you and I don't know it. It's kind of like this generation with civics and the Constitution and all that stuff. They haven't been taught it in school. Why? Because it's easier to take your rights away when you don't know what they are. And we're seeing the proof of that. And so it's the same for the child of God. We need to be filled with the word. So when the enemy comes and says, God doesn't say that, we could be like Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness. It is written. It is written. It is written. Amen? We know the word. So... The trick is, you know, to get us to doubt the love of God, all he's got to do is twist the word of God. Number two, the second lie he uses, he lies about God's motive. Look at it in Genesis 3 here. You know, God, you're not going to die. And then he says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, when you eat that peach, it's a peach, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's some truth in there, but there's also a twist in there. And that's the way the devil works. He takes a lie and he injects it with a little bit of truth. Yeah, they're going to know about good and evil, but that's not a good thing for them. So what he's saying is here is God's trying to hold you back. God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to understand and see the big picture. He wants to keep you small. He wants to hold you down. Come on, this is the lie that we believe. And what? God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to enjoy your life. God doesn't want you to use your gifts. Come on, isn't that the way he lies to us? And the truth is, we're not even living until we come to Jesus. There's no life until, oh, you know, he's going to take your fun away. Listen, you don't start to have fun. You don't start to have life until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He came to give us life and life abundantly. Forget about all this stuff in the world. It's smoke and mirrors. It's empty. The minute you get it, it doesn't satisfy you anymore. Amen. Somebody praise the Lord out there. Perfect love removes fear. Perfect love removes torment. We don't have to be anxious anymore about our sins and paying for our sins or answering for our bad behavior because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at what it says here in 1 John 4. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Are you getting that? Why would we have boldness on the day of judgment? Because Jesus already paid for our sins. The Bible talks about judgment day for those who reject Jesus Christ, and that's the great white throne judgment where the books will be open. You say, what's in the books? Everything we ever did wrong. And if we have to answer for our sin, there's going to be one conclusion. We're going to be found guilty. But Christians don't attend the white throne judgment. We sit at the judgment seat of Christ, and our works are judged, and we're given rewards for it. You say, well, why aren't we over there with everybody else? Because Jesus paid the price for our sin and paid our debt and settled it. So if you and I can just comprehend that and realize the magnitude of God's love that he's bestowed on us in Jesus Christ that he's given us this free gift, that we don't have to answer for all our misbehavior and the wrong and the sin. That removes the dread and the terror from our lives, and we can rest in God's love. Come on this morning. I'm not scared, are you? I said, I'm not scared, are you? You and I are in Christ, and we've been forgiven. He settled the cost of our sin. So we don't have to be anxious. You still look anxious. 
Just believe what God's word says, amen? Look, this is in the gospel of Rick. I'm not making this up. This is what the scripture says. You know it. You know it. Is the enemy lying to you? Is he twisting the word? Is he saying, but, 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 but? Oh, that's for everybody but you. Not you. You're too bad. Yeah, you're too bad. But his blood is so powerful. It cleanses all the bad, amen? So there are some of the roots here, and Perfect love is going to cast out fear, so we need to know God's love. George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. If you and I will allow the love of God to be revealed to us in a way that inspires us to have faith in the faithfulness of God, we're not going to be afraid. We're going to be able to pluck up the roots, the roots of fear in our life and just enjoy the love of God. Jesus has extended his grace to us so we don't have to face the judgment. When we know the depth of God's love, we don't fear the judgment because Jesus already paid the price. Now understand, Jesus also had another question for them. He asked them, why are you so fearful? But he also said to them, how is it that you have no faith? Now, if you look at the way that's worded, you can almost get the sense as Jesus is asking it, it's a question in like, he's kind of genuinely shocked. How is it that you still have no faith? Are you getting that? It's like a head scratcher. Guys, you know, what about all the things you've seen me do? What about all the people you've seen me healed? What about, you know, the, the, the raising the dead and opening the blind eyes and, and, and healing the lame? Guys, how is it that after all that, you still have no faith? You know, there's many times where even though Jesus knows everything, he, he's just shocked genuinely shocked that his own guys, the guys closest to him, his 12, you know, forget about Judas, but the other guys, you guys still don't believe? You know, while Jesus is doing all this stuff, Judas is picking through the money purse. He's trying to, you know, he's out there. But these other guys, you know, you've seen me. He's pointing out the fact that the byproduct of all they've seen and heard already up to this point should have produced a greater level of faith in them. And before we're too judgmental, on them, this is exactly applicable to us as well. What we've seen God do in our own lives, how we've seen God provide for us and protect us and, and save us from trouble, all the things we've seen, healings in our body, healings in our church, uh, all the things we've seen should produce a greater level of faith in us. It's amazing. We, God does awesome stuff. We get through a situation. Then the next thing that comes that we face, we fall apart as if we have no history with his faithfulness. Did we forget about all the stuff he did to get us here? All of you guys are miracles here today, that you're here today. You know, some of us, if we shared our testimony, where we came from, well, I mean, the testimony, Pastor Michael, just getting us to here. Miracles. Just looking at us now. Miracles of grace, miracles of his faithfulness, miracles of his persistence, chance after chance, time after time. He never quit. He never relented. He pursued us, and he wooed us until he got us, and now we're his. How is it that you still have no faith? How is it that you still don't believe? It's a head scratcher for him. You know, we sing that song around here, Too Good to Not Believe. 
You know, and we can't just sing songs. We got to actually believe what we sing. We sing that part. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen metal plates dissolve. I've seen real life resurrections and mental health restored. I've seen families reunited. I've seen prodigals return. Come on. I've seen troubled souls delivered every week. I've seen addicts finally free. He's too good to not believe. He's too good to not believe. Come on. Miracles. Oh, what we've seen just in this church. God, help us with our faith. You know, sometimes I think we, we're like, well, oh, well, that was good, Lord, but, you know, what do you got for us today? What have you done for me lately? What's next? Like he's a, a magician. He's got to pull a rabbit out of the hat now. If he never does one more thing, I believe this morning. I believe this morning. <clears throat> unbelief is no, is no joke. It's a serious issue because of what unbelief can do. Unbelief can do three things. The first thing unbelief can do is it can stop miracles dead in its tracks. You see, God could want to do miracles in our lives. God could want to do miracles at Full Gospel Center. But if we don't believe, we can, our lack of faith, our doubt and unbelief can actually quench the move of the Spirit and stop miracles dead in their tracks. In Matthew 13, 58, Jesus is ministering. It says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Even Jesus' anointing was quenched by doubt and unbelief. He goes to his hometown, and they're like, oh, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's kid? Who does he think he is? And what did it do? It killed the miracles. It stopped the flow of what God wanted to do. Our unbelief, oh, I wish God would, I wish God would, I wish God. We got to believe. We got to believe his word. We got to stop doubting. We got to stop explaining it away. We got to stop saying why he won't do that anymore. Come on, there's whole denominations that say, oh, he won't do this, and he won't do that, and he can't heal, and then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And nowhere in the Bible can I find that. Where it says that, no, I'm going to, you know, once the church is formed, I quit, I'm out. He said, greater things than this should you do. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Come on. Let's believe the word of God today. You know, and we, we, we get all get all frustrated and we get all you know intellectual and we we doubt and then that doubt leads to unbelief and then it quenches the miracles the second thing unbelief can do is it it can cause people to walk away from god listen to hebrews 3 12 beware brethren now he's talking to church people so this is us beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living god See, unbelief can get us to say, well, I used to believe that, but I don't believe it anymore. I used to, and I've, I've talked to so many people, well, I used to be a Christian, I used to go to church, I was raised, but I don't believe anymore. What's that all, all about? That's about doubt and unbelief getting into our heart, and it's evil, and what does it do? It chokes out our faith until the point where we say, I used to believe, but I don't believe anymore. Unbelief is a serious issue. It can stop miracles. It can cause people to walk away from God. And number three, unbelief can lead people to eternal judgment. Revelation 21.8. Listen to this. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their place in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
Now, there's a list of people who are going to miss the free gift of salvation and wind up in hell for eternity. And I want you to notice what's at the top of the list. It talks about murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, but the list starts off with the fearful and the unbelieving. God help us if we think that those aren't serious sins. They're, they're kind of sneaky like that. But the fearful and the unbelieving, and then the list gets to the sins that we consider big sins. Well, I didn't murder anybody, and I didn't kill anybody, and I didn't steal anything, but I don't believe. You see, unbelief can short-circuit your faith to the point where you reject Jesus Christ and try and find another way. We've got a whole world out there that says, now nah, I don't want that Christian stuff. I don't want that Jesus stuff. I'll, I'll find my own way. All roads lead to God, right? So I'll just make my own way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. So we've identified the roots, and we can pluck the doubt and the unbelief up. But the answer to Jesus' question is, why do we not have faith, it's because all of us struggle with unbelief. And as we pluck the roots up, we've got to drive that fear out of our lives so that we can just accept what the Word of God says. There's many Christians that are saved and they doubt their salvation. There's many of us at all times we think, you know what, am I even going to make it? All of us have thought that. I don't care. Don't, don't even try and look spiritual on me right now. I've never had a doubt for even a brief moment. Well, it says here that, you know, liars go to the lake of fire, too. So I just read that. So stop. All of us struggle with that stuff, right? Am I going to make it? Lord, don't you care that we're dying here? <laughs> Who cares? So <clears throat> those are Jesus' two questions, and we've answered them and we looked at them. But there's one more question in this text and in this miracle that we need to talk about today. And Jesus never asked it. The disciples asked it amongst themselves in verse 41. They became very much afraid. So Jesus says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So their response to that was to get more afraid. Oh, Lord, help us. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who is this then that the wind and the waves obey him? So now they ask a question amongst themselves. Jesus had two questions for them, but they want to know, who is this guy? He just defied the natural laws of the universe. He just spoke to things we have no control over, and those things obeyed him. Who is this guy? He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's, just, he's not just a nice guy who told good stories. He's either God or we don't know who he is. And they're grappling with the very fact, who is he? These were the people who were closest to him. And they're in this situation, and now they were, they were terrified, but now they're safe. And even in their safety, they're too wound up now, and they wrestle with this question, who is this guy? Reminds me of a man who went to a psychologist, and he said to the psychologist, he said, doctor, Sometimes I feel like a teepee, and sometimes I feel like a wigwam. And the doctor said, well, there's your problem. You're too tense. <laughs> You're too tense. And I want to say to you, Christians, I want to say to you, born-again, spirit-filled believers, you're too tense. You're too wound up. You're too anxious. You got too many questions. You got too many whys and what ifs. 
we need to rest in the love of God and trust in God, amen, that he's going to provide. He's going to take care of us. Now, listen to me. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you, maybe even more to me today. Because whatever you're going through, when you're in leadership, you go, leaders get 10 times the pounding. You, you can trust me on this, amen. I know I look good and my wife made me match my clothes, but under the hood, I'm preaching to me just as much as I'm preaching to you. We're too tense. We worry about too much stuff. We have too many anxieties that we allow overwhelm us and they choke our joy and they, take the, they rob us from the love of God and the rest of being in his hands. You know, even John the Baptist wrestled with this same question. Who is he? They're, they're, they're sitting in there, man, we have God in our boat. We have someone who can speak to the natural. Who is this guy? John the Baptist wrestled with the same question even after John baptized Jesus. Do you remember at Jesus' baptism what happened? Incredible signs and wonders. A voice came from heaven. The Father spoke. John heard it. The Holy Spirit descended like a job. John saw it. He baptizes Jesus. There's incredible miracles going on. Yet now John is in jail. Jesus' ministry has begun, and John's life is coming to an end, and I think he senses it, and he wants to know, is Jesus the Messiah or not? Wow. The Bible says that there's never been a man born of woman that was greater than John, and even he is struggling here with this question. So we, we can't feel too bad if we struggle with it at times. You know, who, who is this? You know, kind of on the other side of the cross, uh, the church, 2,000 plus years of good, solid doctrine. It's almost easier for us to say, yeah, we know who Jesus is. He's the only begotten son of God. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. He's God. He's divine. These guys grappled with it. John grappled with it. In fact, in Matthew 11, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus the question point blank. He says here in Matthew 11, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, are you the one coming or do we look for another? Listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things which you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus is saying the signs and the wonders and the works that I do, they fulfill all the prophetic uh, requirements of who the Messiah is. He's saying, tell John, I'm the guy. You don't need to look for anyone else. Jesus is the one. Amen. Jesus is still the one. He's the Messiah. He's the only begotten son of God. He's the Christ. He's the great I am. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Your search is over. You don't need to search for anyone else. Amen? You don't need to search in anything else. Well, I need to try this, and I need to do that, and I need a pile of money, and I need some good stuff. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all empty. It doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. You and I need to understand who he is. Until we understand who he is, we can't be saved. Well, you don't get saved by a good man or a nice teacher or a wise prophet. Only God's son save us from our sins let's bow our heads today i thank you that we've got to explore all the details of it but it boils down to this one thing that we believe who jesus said he is and that we would trust him personally to be our lord and savior 
I want to give an opportunity to anyone here today who's never been given a chance to, to make that decision. I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus into your life in a personal way. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I heard everything you said. The Holy Spirit's been tugging on my heart, you know, and, and I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And you know what? Jesus is the one. Your search is over today. You found the truth. And the only, the only question is, will you respond to the truth? You say, what will happen to me if I accept Jesus? He'll come into your life. He'll fill your heart. He'll give you the power to live a different life. He'll forgive all your sins, and he'll secure your soul for eternity. He'll give you the free gift of salvation. See, that sounds awesome. What does it cost? It doesn't cost us anything. He paid the cost on the cross with his blood. He paid the price for us that all we have to do is by a decision of our will, invite him to be the Lord of our life and then walk with him and serve him from that moment forward. If you're here, you want a clean slate and a fresh start. You want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I want you to lift your hand today. How many people would say, I want to make that decision here this morning? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. Ushers are putting packets in hand. Just keep your hand up for a second. God bless you. Let's, anyone else, I don't want to rush. This is the most important part of our service. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you, and I believe who you said you are, that you are the Christ, the Messiah, and that you've risen from the dead. I confess I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me to live a different way. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family of God.